Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pal, Evan Graham. Hello, Evan. Hello, Kevin. I'm working on how it, I actually say hello when you introduce me. Um, I, I, I think my shtick has gotten old. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, how about just saying, hey, how's it going? And let's get let's get rolling here. Uh, I think that'd be a, a great way to start. We're going to we'll roll through three topics today. We're going to talk about the Cowboys. We're going to talk about the Rangers and their new manager, Bruce Boshi. And we're also going to talk about colleges and the, and the state of college football in Texas in particular. Uh, uh, David Moore will not be with us this week. He's got a lot of other things to do. He's a lot more busy than or he's a lot busier than uh, Evan and I are. We got we got nothing going on, basically. We're just sitting around waiting for Thanksgiving to roll up here and hit us in the face. Uh, Evan, the, the Cowboys went out there uh, or went up there to Minneapolis this uh, weekend. I don't know, tell you what, it was cold up there, uh, but it was pleasant. Uh, not not bad. Uh, we walked to the uh, the game from our hotel, which was which was a nice little brisk walk. Uh, and then the, the Cowboys went out there and just lit up those Vikings, uh, 40 to three. I got to tell you, I picked the Cowboys to win that game, but I did not see that coming. No, the, I mean, I, I, listen, I think Jerry Jones got a little bit carried away afterwards when he yeah. mentioned the Super Bowl and everything, but it, it was, listen, it, it was an example of, how good this team can be. And I, I I saw a couple of our, I don't want to even call them friends, but I saw some people on TV yesterday debating whether or not the game said more about Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins. And that to me, that's all silly because quarterback play in the NFL is fairly inconsistent. Um, but when Dak is good, and when this defense plays the way it's capable of, they're a really, really good team. And I think they diversified themselves a little bit more by really making Pollard a much a much more um, well-rounded element of their game on, on Sunday. And it just it made them look like they were capable of beating anybody in the league. Yeah, you know, and this is what the Cowboys kind of do, right? They they will go out and surprise you. The week before against the Packers, they looked terrible. Uh, they had their moments in that game, but I, I thought the game plan was out of whack. And uh, and I know you hate for me to do this, but I wrote last week that, that this team needed to run the ball uh, more often. That that is what the identity of this team should be. It is a running team first uh, because if you look back at Dak's numbers uh, and he's been in the league long enough that these things are no longer anomalies, what it shows is that um, when he throws the ball 40 or more times, as he did in Green Bay, uh, he's not very good, Uh, but neither is anybody else in football. Basically, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady are the two guys that can live that way, throwing 40 or more times, Uh, and that's it. And then even, but even in, even when he's thrown thirty or more times, he still doesn't have a winning record uh, in those in those games. Hold on, hold on, let me get to the point here. The point is, is that when he when he keeps it in the twenties, when Dak throws the ball twenty times, 20, between twenty and, and thirty times, he's got a very good record. It's like twenty four and four. It's like twenty five and four now. And so that's what they need to understand is that this is who this quarterback is. You, you can't live with him throwing the ball all the time. He's got to, you've got to make sure that this offense 
is just exactly what it was against Minnesota. Which is, I, I, listen, he's he's not a drop back and fling it passer. And you mentioned two guys who are, and those are pretty much the only two guys in the league that can do that, as you said. And the bottom line is if you're throwing the ball 40 times, it's because you're either way behind in a game or you're you're playing catch up and, and and you're coming back from from a deficit. So I don't think to say that throwing the ball between 20 and 30 times uh, is optimum is is a big stretch or a surprise here. I, I think it's again the way he spread the ball around on that first drive on the first touchdown drive. I think the way that um, when necessary. He can move out of the pocket and do some things. I think the Cowboys' best identity, and quite frankly, I think just about everybody's best identity offensively, is to be as balanced as possible. And what they did on Sunday, I thought, was pretty close to hitting the mark on that as well as you possibly could. Well, here's the thing about about that is that you you have to know who your quarterback is, you know, and and there have been times, there have been plenty of times where, where Dak has thrown more than 40 passes when it was not a situation where they were trying to play catch up, that that was just, they got into a deal where if they get into something early in a game and they like it, then they just keep going back to it. And, and, and that sounds right. And that's, and I always make that, that statement. If, if you're running the ball, well, you keep running the ball. Uh, the problem for me with the Cowboys has been in Kellen Moore's offense is has been a little too much of, okay, we got here to this point with our running game. Now we're going to throw it, uh, and they and they did that on their first drive after the uh, after the turnover and the strip sack by Micah Parsons, who by the way obviously was the key to that game. All the players said after the game, you know, the strip sack on on Minnesota's first drive just opened the floodgates. That that's what got them going. It it, it makes. And uh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence said, uh, so then, you know, Kirk Cousins goes back to being who Kirk Cousins really is, which is a guy nervous in the pocket uh, when he's getting pressure, which most quarterbacks are. And that's probably a little bit unfair, but I think it's it's probably accurate when you're talking about uh, Cousins and what he did, because for the rest of the game, he did not look comfortable in the pocket. Um, but, you know, they they got down to the uh, to the uh, inside the the twenty and immediately started throwing the ball. They throw the ball into the into the end zone to Dalton Schultz, and he tries to make a one handed catch, which is ridiculous. He's not that kind of receiver, and and he drops the ball, and so they have to settle for a field goal. The next time they come down the field, uh, and of course they scored on their first seven open, you know, first seven drives, which was you know unbelievable. The next time they come down the field, they get down in there and they just and they're just running the ball. They get down to the goal line and they run the ball three times in a row. And that's what you have to do. You have to impose your will on these teams. This is what they're set up to do. This is what they're better at. It's kind of like, don't you understand this is your identity? This is who you really are. This is who these offensive linemen are. This is who your quarterback is. This is why you still have Zeke Elliott because he still is a valuable uh, component to that running game because he does run so hard. Because Tony Pollard is really not that kind of running back uh, down there at the one yard line, so uh, they did everything well. They Dak did not try to really attack the middle of the field, which has been a problem for him. That's why the two interceptions against Green Bay came when he was trying to go to the middle of the field. It's it's difficult to throw in there. He was attacking the edges in this game. Uh, they they got uh, on both the plays with the wheel route for the touchdown to Tony Pollard, as well as the one on the little screen where they threw him out to the right side. 
uh, and they ran that play to Malik Davis later, and he got similar yardage against it. And I thought the other thing I wanted to bring up was that after the game, the Vikings players talked about, hey, we got our ass kicked. That's what two different players said that. And and not only just because of the of the the thirty seven point difference, which was the largest road game win for the, in Cowboys history, which is just phenomenal that they keep coming up with these kind of stats, was that the Cowboys were just so much more physical. They just whipped them everywhere at the line of scrimmage and you know down the field everywhere they were more physical, and that is something that is really going to be a, a factor I think for this team going forward. They that's what championship teams do. Uh, they're, they're not finesse teams for the most part. The, the Chiefs get away with that because their offense is so terrific. Uh, they can be a finesse team, even though they do have some some really good players on their defensive front. Still, you have to be a physical team, and that's what they are. So let's let's talk now about what uh, Jerry Jones said after the game, which was, of course, that uh, you know he brought up the, the Super Bowl words. Um, and that was a little offensive. I, I, I will say – if they could play the way they played against the Vikings, that that kind of play will win you a Super Bowl. Okay, if they if they play because they've gotten through the tough part of their schedule, uh, if they could play this way every game from here on out, yes, they would win the Super Bowl. But what we, what we know is is that you you can't play that way every game. Uh, that that things happen. There are injuries. There are situations that crop up. Guys just don't play as well. Guys get dinged up. There are a thousand things that can go wrong in between there. So was Jerry wrong to bring up the word Super Bowl? I think I think on one front it's silly um, because really at this point a Cowboy season is only going to be defined by reaching a Super Bowl or not. It's been so long that, that – so, so the conference championship game is no longer good enough for you. I, 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 I think, look, it, it's been 26 years. Um this team has got to reach Super Bowl. Uh, even if they reach a conference championship, it's going to represent progress from the year before or from the last 26 years. Right. But it's not going to. It's not going to be a success. This team, Jerry Jones wants to play for Super Bowls, and and that's that. What I do think makes some sense is this: that, and, and I don't even know if it needs to be said. But when they do play like that, when they show that they are capable of playing a game like that, yes, this is a team that can win a Super Bowl. Very few teams ever play that kind of game week in and week out. But very few teams also have the ability to play this kind of game, period. And the Cowboys showed the ability to play championship caliber football on Sunday on the road in Minneapolis. And I assume that was a pretty hostile crowd there. Um, yeah, it was for about a half, uh, so, and, then, and then not so much after that. So I get where Jerry's coming from. I just feel like every time you inject the word Super Bowl into the conversation in this marketplace, it inflames everybody or gets everybody so overhyped that reality sometimes fades from the picture. I think it's okay, you know. It's it, as long as the players understand. It doesn't matter what the fans think, you know, because the fans obviously want to see that. And, but it doesn't matter what they think. What matters, and 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 the players that I talked to after the game, and when I was asking them specifically, which team are y'all? Are y'all the team that lost to Green Bay, or are y'all the team that just dominated the Vikings? 
three players got that question, and one of them, uh, Jaron Curse, said, "We're both teams. That's on film. You know, that's who we are. What we're trying to get to is the one that we are who we were today." CD Lamb was highly offended that I asked him that question, uh, and <laughs> which I thought was really funny because he said, "Well, we're this team," and, and it's like, "Yeah, that's the problem on this club is that." There are the guys like C.D. Lamb who don't understand. No, 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 man. You got to come out here and do it every week. You can't just do it every once in a while. It's not enough to say, "Well, okay, we we killed the Vikings, so therefore we're, we've made up for everything that went before." I, I thought the curse quote was outstanding. I thought it was a great. It, it was a player showing real self awareness. But I also know from dealing with professional athletes, right, that they have to believe. Like C.D. has to believe. We are this team. Um, that's what they have to believe. The fact of the matter is, like Kurt said, they are both teams. They, they When they don't execute, they are a team that can lose a 14-point uh, fourth quarter lead. And when they do execute, they can go out and obliterate teams with the best record in the league. So um, I, I, I'm always uh, – uh, I always look favorably at guys who can have some self-awareness of what the of, of what the reality and what the outside perceptions are. But I also understand that look, the athlete in them, the competitor, is going to want to believe only we're only what we think we can be. Yeah, I, I get it, but I think it makes you feel like, and that's and that's to me also the difference between offensive and defensive guys. Defensive My- guys are always more clear about, hey, we got to play really well every week to win. And then the offensive guys are all – it's the same difference between them and coaches too. I don't, and it's just two different mindsets. Now, my question, Kevin, is – and I think this is actually might be a little bit interesting for listeners. Um, can you give me the mechanism on, on the locker room after the game? Does Jerry say that and then people go scattering and asking players for their reaction or <sighs> – is Jerry off, you know, does Jerry do his bit like later um, after guys have talked to players? Uh, depends on the game. If it's a home game, Jerry comes right out and sometimes we get him as play. the locker room's open and then Jerry comes outside. Jerry's gone into the locker room, then he comes out and then he, then he, um, then he's available. And so you, you do get some of that. Uh, what it, That was not what happened in Minnesota. Matter of fact, I'd already gone back up to the press box and, and and a couple of our guys, Calvin Watkins and David Moore, were still downstairs, and Jerry all of a sudden showed up, and that's when they talked to him and got. So there was no there was no feel like of of that quote wafting through the locker room. And, no, and, no, okay. yeah, no, I, no, no, nobody got the, the players. Were, by the time Jerry came out, uh, those players were all gone. So uh, that was not the case uh, then. I mean, I'm sure they would all feel like you know it, they're 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 trying. You know, it's the classic. Uh, it's one game, you know, the next game up. You know, we're, we're just going to be concerned about this game. And frankly, for the Cowboys, that is what they have to do. They have to understand that this is the way they have to play. You know, uh, it was just like they didn't really stop the running game of the Vikings so much as they, they did play it a lot better than they played it against Green Bay. Uh, you know, the Vikings just got behind and they couldn't use their running game anymore. And so that, and that's what that's what can happen. In this game, the team, the concern would be, oh, see, if we just outscore everybody, it's not a problem. Well, but you outscored everybody in this game by running the ball ten times more than you passed it. You, you you ran the ball forty times and you and you passed it thirty. That's that's a great formula because not only you're keeping 
it, the time of possession in the first half, the Cowboys had the ball twice as long as the Vikings did. So that means that the that the opponent's offense can't get into a rhythm. Uh, they're they're not on the field enough, uh, and and then you're keeping your guys rested. It's just that old stupid formula, but it it's it's a good one. So then let me ask you this: as we try and put last week behind us and move ahead to this short week, is playing the Giants on four days rest, you know, a good running team? Is that what this team needs right now to go up back out and repeat this very quickly? Yeah, I think so. You know, here's the thing about Saquon Barkley. He, he only ran it 22 times uh, in this loss, uh, which was a terrible loss for them. Um, but the week before against the Texans, which was a really stupid game plan, and I like the, the Brian Dable, the new coach. He's doing a good job. But Saquon Barkley ran the ball 35 times in that game. 35 times. That is like caveman football. That's what Earl Campbell used to do. That's why Earl Campbell is in the shape that he is now because Bum Phillips ran him so much back then. So anyway, you can't do that, and especially with a guy who's been hurt as much as Barkley has, and he is their offense. And why in a game, a team that was a terrible team, you you would do that to your best player is just beyond me. So I, I really do think that, that it, it's going to be a problem for the Giants. You know, the bigger problem in the first game against the Giants was not Barkley running the ball. It was Daniel Jones running the ball. The, you know, he was the Cowboys couldn't contain him. You know, I, I don't understand how that's a possibility, but, you know, he is athletic and he can do those kind of things. But, you know, it's just a little bit like I, I couldn't believe in that Colts Eagles game. Colts played such a great game against the Eagles the entire game. And then the, the, the one play where it really mattered, where you knew that Jalen Hurts is going to keep the ball, he goes down the center aisle like it's his wedding, you know. And, uh, and speaking of which, weddings, uh, Happy marriage to Christian Vasquez, our our fine producer. Just got married last week, so very fun. Uh, so anyway, how do you let that happen? But in any way, uh, I, I do think the Cowboys uh, should beat the Giants. Uh, clearly, they, they've handled the Giants well for years now. Uh, I, I do think that they are probably going to be focused on that now. Uh, you know, you would think maybe there'll be some kind of hangover after a 40-3 to win on the road against the team that had the was tied with the best record in, in the conference and in the league, frankly. So maybe those will all be factors. We would all like to think maybe the Cowboys have all grown up and realized that, hey, man, we got to go out there and it doesn't matter what happened in this last game. And that's what they said, but we'll see if that's what they did. What do you believe, Kevin? Do you believe – because I don't think that any team is, you know, as good as a 37-point road victory and rarely is a team as bad as a 14-point fourth-quarter road loss. Right. Which version do you feel the Cowboys are closer to? Well, I, th- I think that from a talent standpoint, uh, they are closer to the what they were against Minnesota. You, you couldn't possibly do that if you if that's not who you are, or at least close to who you are, right? I mean, the Vikings are at home, uh, you know, and, and, the, and they have not beaten the Cowboys at home since they got this beautiful new stadium in 2016. That's true, but I don't know. I don't believe much in those historical things in the NFL. You know, I don't think they mean very much. And so, it, you know, it's a it's a new year every year, and and this is a Vikings team that's been playing very well. But the, it played right into the Cowboys' biggest strength in that game, which is their pass rush. They got seven sacks in that game, and uh, and, and there are not very listen. The, they have the best pass rush in the NFL. I don't think there's any question about that. And so when you have something like that, that is just really 
that far above average. And you've got a couple of other things. And the running game's pretty good. Tony Pollard's a very explosive player. There's not very many guys like him either. So and and there's not very many defensive backs like Trayvon Diggs. So you you've got players on this team who are at the top level of the league. Uh, and Micah Parsons is, you know, he's one of the five best players in football, I think. So uh, when you've got those kind of players, and that, that was a big difference too, right? Micah Parsons goes back to being Micah Parsons in that game. Uh, whereas, you know, against Green Bay, they had him playing linebacker. He's not really in the flow of the game. It didn't feel like, it didn't like feel like he was making any kind of impact in that game. Not like he is otherwise. And he has to make a difference for them. You know, if, if he's not putting up big numbers in a game, he's not getting sacks, the Cowboys, are, are I think, are probably going to struggle a little bit on defense. I'll just leave it with this. We, I mean, I know we've already bled into other our other segment, but I'll just leave it with this. I think the Cowboys are a very good football team. Um, they are susceptible to bad games. When the quarterback makes a couple of mistakes, as Dak did against Green Bay, and some of his receivers did as well, Anybody is capable of being tripped up. But at the heart, this is a good defensive team, and I think Dak is an above-average NFL quarterback. I still think he's about probably top-tier, top-10 NFL quarterback right at the back end of that. There is more than enough here to take this team to Arizona in, in, in February. Yeah, I think so too. All right, what's your prediction on this week? I say 27-17. Um... Let's go with, uh, I don't know it's going to be a 10-point win. Let, let's go with uh, 27-21. Very close. All right. Very good. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment. We're going to move over now to our Rangers uh, segment. Uh, Evan went to uh, Nashville uh, to visit with Bruce Boshi and uh, had a nice little visit with him. Uh, Evan, tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like there at the Oboshi uh, Palace. Well, I... Listen, I, this is – I think you've already kind of alluded to this, Kevin, that you um, um, you really like who this manager is. And I think that this is as, as secure a manager or as secure in who he is as a manager as anybody the Rangers have ever had. Obviously, he's the most accomplished guy. Um, I went there to try and get a feel for how engaged he is and how engaged he was in the game over the three years that he was out, why he came back, and just kind of to introduce Dallas-Fort Worth baseball fans to him. He's, a, he's got, an interesting, got an interesting life story. Um, it was great to watch a World Series game with him, even though that was the one game where really the only managerial decision was, do I leave my starter out there to take lumps, which Dusty essentially did with Lance McCullers Jr., and it paid off with a really fresh bullpen over the final three games. Um, or do I, you know, do I pull him and chase a chase a deficit of four runs? I, I got the sense from Bruce Bochy that look, this is a guy. You know, you you look in, you look around the house, and there's posters from Gunsmoke and Lonesome Dove, and he's dropping references to the Clampets, like Beverly Hillbillies. Um, and, and he's dropping a lot of old school references. And he said that he dropped it on the 2012 giants team that was called the misfits. He called them the dirty dozen. And I said to him, how many of your guys actually knew what the dirty dozen was? <laughs> but the point is while he's rooted in all that, he's an older guy and he's rooted in the, the same kind of 
cultural references that you and I are, he understands the modern game and he understands where the game is at this point. And so I don't think it's fair to sit back and say, well, is he going to be an old school guy or an analytics guy? I think the best managers take all the information and they also have a good feel for the situation and their players. And to a man that I talked to, I talked to Trevor Hoffman. I talked to Phil Nevin, who both played for him with the Padres. I talked to Jeremy Affel and Buster Posey, who both played for him with the Giants. They said this is a guy who is invested in every one of his players and who finds a way every day to touch a player and make that player feel important. And that's a sentiment that I got from other people as well outside the game, that he's got an innate ability to make you feel important. And for five hours that night, I felt like, he was really invested in that conversation, which is, I think, all you can ask for on a personal relationship, whether you're dealing with a manager as a journalist or whether you're dealing with a manager as a player. Well, you know, I, I'll say this, too. Uh, I didn't know Bruce at all, really. You know, I'd never had any personal interaction with him. You know, I've, obviously, when the, when the Rangers played the Giants in the World Series, you're talking to him in press conferences and things, but that's not the same. Uh, and in the in that little bit of time that we talked after the introductory press conference, he just couldn't have been more genuine and nice. And, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of people and what they're like. Uh, you know, there are certain things that people can say. I don't get uh, waved in just because a guy's friendly to me. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, then this guy must be great. You know, there's all kinds of, of different elements involved in this. But he just – from everything I knew about him and knew about his past and then sitting there talking to him and just, and, and, he, and he's talking to everybody. He, we were walking down a hallway and one of the, you know, the Rangers, you know, people was in the back and he stands out and comes out in the hallway and sticks his hand and says, Hey, just want to welcome you to the team. And he goes, Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I'll be talking to you. Okay. Uh, and then kept on walking. Uh, and, and it's clear to me, yeah, that he, that is what he's going to do. And, and it, it seems like with him, it's one of those, he's one of those people. I don't just cut this off with the people I have to know. It's not just the players. I'm going to treat this way. It's the people in the back. It's the media. It's everybody. I, I'm just going to be myself and be this person with everybody. And that way I don't have to, to know when I can turn it on and turn it off. This is just who I am. He's got, a, a, yeah, he's got a, the best managers in, in field managing is a really tough job because it's basically a middle manager but he's got the ability to manage up and manage down um I, I think you know the one managerial decision in that game that we watched together was um Houston had put two runners on in the fifth inning against uh against Philadelphia and uh, Ranger Suarez they had Jose Altuve coming up for the third time and had that there was that whole situation of okay, the new school manager says, do you take him out here and go to your bullpen? And the and Philadelphia had Alvarado warming up, and Bochi looked at me and he said, well, what would you do here? And I gave him my answer. Now, it doesn't matter that he asked me that, but I talked to Ron Rodas, his bench coach in San Francisco. And they used to play the same game. This is how Bochy would interact with Wotus during games is, hey, what would you do here? And, well, here's my reasoning, and this is probably why I'll get, why I'll get, why I will get burned. And that's kind of the sense that I got that he's, you know, he does the speed of the game doesn't ever, um, 
catch up to him, uh, that he manages at his pace, that he's not frenetic, and that he keeps other people involved so that they feel like they are part of the decision-making process. I don't know if I illustrated that as well as I would like to, but it did come across that way that it's like, okay, I want input. I'm still going to make the decision that I need to make, but I want input. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I think, you know, and, and, and my wife is like this and, and everybody's like this fans are like this. What they want more than anything is a guy who just or a person, any kind of person that you deal with seems like just the nicest person alive and is really smart, but doesn't want to make you uh, feel like, Oh, they're so much smarter than you are. Right. They, just, they, 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 everybody loves that idea of somebody's that it's like, you know, one of the people that you said he loved to watch was Andy Griffith. Is it, you know, it's, it's like, that's what Andy was, right? This good old boy sheriff who was smarter than everybody else, but they, they didn't know it. And that was, the, that was pretty much the pretext of every one of the episodes on that show. So I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. I brought a bottle of, I bought, brought a bottle of bourbon. I know he likes to sip bourbon. Um, so I brought a bottle of bourbon as a gift. Um, the bourbon that I had wanted to buy is a, is, is a, is a bourbon that I like, but it wasn't at the store that I, that I stopped at in Nashville. So I bring this bourbon and give it to him. So oh, this is a good one. Thanks. Um, and then I later on, I start to like pontificate like me being a bourbon snob about this bourbon that I like that's uh, aged in, in these port wine casks, blah, 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 made by a winemaker in San Francisco. And he just pulls out of the cabinet. He goes, oh, you mean this slaughterhouse here? And um, it, it, it's one of those moments where he, he's, he knows what you're talking about. You're not going to surprise him with anything, but he listens and he, he hears the whole story and, and he makes you feel like, oh yeah, you, you, you do know something. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, listen, it's, that's, that's like one, that's one oh one, right. And, and dealing with people make, make people feel like that they, they matter uh, and, and make everybody feel like they matter. And then, and then, but you, you're still the guy in charge or you're still the person in charge. So yeah, I think we're going to like this. It's going to be fun to deal with this manager, I think. Now if he just gets anyway. some pitching, and we'll talk about that next week. Yes, we will. Well, that would be a good thing. All right, now we're going to move into our college segment. Uh, Evan, the uh, the TCU Horn Frogs uh, just continue to win. And I don't know if you watched the end of that Baylor game. Oh, I did. Oh, my gosh. What in the world they were doing there? And I know that that Sonny says, oh, this is our fire drill. We, we practice this every week. Every we know Thursday. exactly. Every Thursday. Well, this is what we do. We we knew what we were doing. It's like, well, I, I don't care. Did you have to prove that you knew how to do this? Couldn't you just throw the ball here and get the clock stopped? Did you have to run everybody out here like and, and do this just to show everybody you could do it? I mean, just what a crazy ending to that game. It, it was. And I mean, I, you know, I I didn't think there was any way that they were gonna execute that kick, but he also said in that same interview coming off the field that the kicker, you know. The kicker's fine with the drill. He right. just wants the ball in, you know, in the middle of the field, and that that was their whole exercise there. But I, it's a it's a heck of a way to end a football game, and it was exciting, and everybody left with their jaw drop. Um, but I would say, if they want to go to the playoff, don't do that again. <laughs> I'll say this: they may not be one of the four best teams in the country, but they are the most exciting team in the country. They week in and week out, they are more fun to watch the endings of these games. Maybe, if you, maybe you just watched the last quarter of every one of their games 
They are behind in these games. They come back. They they have these crazy finishes, uh, and and they keep winning. Uh, I, I give them all the credit in the world for that. All right, so let me again. Let me pose this to you, Kevin. You, you're going to have Ohio State or Michigan. One of those two is going to lose this week, right? Tennessee, we feel like is out of the picture now. Out. That yes. loss takes them out. Yeah. USC had a good win over UCLA. Right. They play Notre Dame this week, and then they'll have probably, I believe, it's Oregon in the Pac-12 game. Yeah. And one loss is a one-point loss to Utah. So you get. Let's let's assume everything plays out. You've got an unbeaten Georgia team. Let's say let's assume they beat LSU, and then you've got the winner of the Big Twelve, uh, the Big Ten game, right. whether that's Michigan or Ohio State. Now three, four, five, or three or four. What matters? You got TCU, which would be unbeaten. You potentially have a UCLA team that's had a much stronger schedule, particularly at the end of the season, and you've got a a, a Michigan team, let's say, or an Ohio State team with one loss. Does is there any chance that TCU gets pushed out? I, I don't think so. But, you know, I, I didn't think so in 2014 either. So, you know, I'm going to just keep sticking to that story until the committee proves to me that that is not going to be the case with them. Because here's what's happened for TCU. These wins have been really, really exciting, but all of these wins have sunk. You know, since they won those games, they're not as – they're not as good as they were. Now, now, Texas has worked its way back up into the top 25. How Texas keeps doing this with the committee is beyond me. I don't know how, why they why the committee likes Texas so much. I mean, they, they've got B. John Robinson, who is the best running back in the country, and, and Chuck Carlton did a story for us uh, about that. Have they wasted him? And my answer is yes, they have. They have wasted B. John Robinson's talents. He's, he's put up a lot of numbers but they have not won very many games with a guy who is the best running back in the country. And that's really unfortunate. So that, that, that win still means something. Uh, but I, I, I find it, it's going to be really difficult to me to work this out. I mean, LSU would, would seemingly be a team that could creep back up, but not if they lose, they, they can't with, uh, with three losses. Right. I mean, that's just not, that's not going to happen. So, once Georgia beats them in the SEC championship game, and I think that's what's going to happen, then then LSU's out. Everybody's out. Alabama's out. LSU's out. The SEC is going to have one team in the mix. Now, if LSU beats Georgia, then yeah, now the LSU and Georgia both get in. I think. You know, I I, I really think the committee will not leave Georgia out, even though that the the last game was their last, was their loss. I just don't think the committee can do that. So that's the way that that the SEC can get two teams in. I don't think – I really think that it's going to be hard for the Big Ten to get two in as well. Uh, I, I think you know, Michigan's schedule wasn't quite as difficult as Ohio State's, and so I think that you know the committee prefers Ohio State, and I think that's just an either-or there. You know, Whoever I mean, wins gets that. Gets so that you, see a, you see, in all likelihood, you see Georgia, Ohio State, if USC wins out, USC and TCU. Yes, I do. Uh, and, and and think about that for a minute, right? Think how Oklahoma fans must feel uh, now. You, They're all so bitter because uh, Lincoln Riley left to go to USC, and, and rightfully so. I mean, I'd be bitter too. You know, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, guy just up and left. You, you, you leave one of the storied programs in college football to go to a place where they're not as good right now as Oklahoma is. And he goes out there in his first year 
And obviously, his quarterback that he took with him is a large part of that. This guy's got a real shot to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, is 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 has got a shot to be in the CFP here. I really do think that USC is the the default. If there is a question about who that fourth team is going to be, see, I think what's going to happen here is that I think TCU is going to actually work its way at the third uh, in this, and so and that's going to be invaluable because could you imagine having to play Georgia in that first round? I I really think in uh, Atlanta. Yeah, I, I just think that that could be br- brutal. Whoever ends up fourth, that's a sacrificial lamb. Because I think that Georgia is clearly the best team in the country, uh, and you hate to get to the Final Four and then and then get bounced in the semis and just get crushed. Oklahoma knows what that's like. So uh, I, I really think that that would be pivotal for TCU to move up to third uh, and, and maybe, maybe be able to stay alive for one more week. That would uh, – I, 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 under that scenario, I could see that happening. Yeah. All right. Do we have any? Uh, do we want to make any picks here? Oh, let, let's talk about because we want to talk about the the state of Texas football and the time we got left. Uh, and the and the Aggies have it's just uh, the the bottom is falling out of all of this. And I'm not. Did you see the pictures from the attendance at the game uh, against UMass after halftime? I saw the pictures after halftime. Yes, with the stadium completely empty. I also saw the film clip of the uh, cadets trying to assassinate um, some of the Massachusetts <laughs> Minutemen with a cannon. Um, and I know that nobody was trying to hurt anybody there, but it just, it, it was a bad look, unfortunately. Um, they said those guys just wouldn't get out of the way. We warned them they wouldn't get out of the way. Everything oh. that's happened at A&M this, this season has just been a bad look. So, uh, it, Oh, it, my gosh. Yeah. It is. It is abysmal. I don't. I, you know. It. It. And the. Then the problem is, is that the because of the war that uh, that uh, Jimbo Fisher had with Nick Saban before the season made it all worse. You know. You acted like you know. And and, and you're. If, if he had. I mean, we've talked about this, but if he had just laughed the whole thing off, then it people wouldn't have risen to the level of criticism. I mean, if you read some of these Alabama writers, they'd never lose a chance to take a shot at Jimbo now. Uh, and it's just, it's just made everything worse. Well, and all I, I, it also simply brought or continued more attention to the fact that A&M supposedly had the best recruiting class in college football. And yeah. how could you potentially, how could you possibly lose with the best recruiting class in college football. And so it just, it makes Jimbo look that much worse. And I, I, I talked to an A&M fan this weekend and, and they are, they're fed up, you know, but they also know there's nothing that they can do about it. And they know that, that they're stuck with what they feel like is a very stubborn head coach. Yeah, they are. We'll see if he uh, gets himself a new offensive coordinator this offseason. I really think he has to do that. That has to be the number one priority. Somebody else, Running the team, running, calling the plays. I don't know if it, you know. I, I when I talked to Ross Bjork about that earlier this year, he he alluded to it without even me asking. Uh, and so I think that that is a sign that he is going to talk to Jimbo about that if he hasn't already. And and I think that Jimbo has to be smart enough to see that and understand that uh, you know because they're they're losing recruits now. You know, and and that's the thing. You, 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 he's done a really great job of recruiting, but you can't continue to to move along these these lines. All right, one more last thing here before we get out. So we we talked about A and M. Let's let's talk about uh, Texas and Steve Sarkeesian. 
Do you feel comfortable with Steve Sarkeesian going forward as the coach of Texas? Uh, he was, I think you and I are on the same boat on, on, on this. I, he didn't wow me as the hire at the time, and he's done nothing in his two years so far to make to really convince me otherwise. Uh, the best game he's had is a near win, is a, is a close loss yeah. to, a, to the worst Alabama team of the last five or six years. So um, I, do I feel comfortable? I, I mean, if I'm Texas, I, I feel like, Two years is, is is certainly too early to pull the plug, but he hasn't overachieved by any stretch of the imagine the imagination. No, he hasn't. Uh, you know the the one thing you can say about him is he's recruiting well, uh, like Jimbo. I mean, he, he he went out and got Quinn Ewers to transfer there, and in, then he in which you know at the for half of a season that looked like a great thing. Uh, the second half of the season, not so much as. As I think Ivan Mazel wrote uh, after the uh, TCU Texas game, the best quarterback on the field was Arch Manning. Uh, you know, who was there as a recruit. So uh, let's see what happens when Arch gets there. Uh, I, I will say this, uh, and, and I said going into the TCU game, if Quinn Ewers played well, they could win that game. He did not play well. He didn't come close to playing well. I think if, if he had played really well, they would have won that game against TCU. So. Great quarterback play, which is certainly a possibility when you get this level of talent, uh, is 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 right there, and, and that and, and that could very well happen. Of course, then you're going to have the question of how are you going to have Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning on the campus at the same time, uh, and that and that is going to be a big question for me well as well. And how does Steve Sarkeesian handle that? It, Manning has not signed. He's only he didn't sign early. He only committed. Correct. Well, no, he's he's supposed to be enrolling early. You know, he's graduating early. Uh, that's that's been the plan all along, or not all along, but that was that's what's announced that he's going to show up in January. So, so we'll we'll see if that all actually happens. I that was a good sign that he was there for the game, right, with his dad Cooper. So uh, there there are some big questions about you know where this offense is going, you know, and um, uh, listen, it's the two flagship programs in the state. Texas and Texas A&M football is not in great shape uh, right now. You know, the fact that Sonny Dykes could go to TCU and in his very first year, get the team in the CFP when Texas hadn't been there and, and, uh, and over what, 13 years now. And, uh, and A&M's never been there. Uh, pretty phenomenal. You mentioned how bad Oklahoma fans must feel with Lincoln Riley potentially going to the playoffs. Just imagine you're part of that Texas group that wanted Sonny Dykes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, well, that, that that was stirred up a lot of uh, uh, of dust. I got to tell you, uh, a lot of Texas fans, and they're they're trying, they're very defensive about all that now. And oh, Sonny couldn't handle all the things that had to happen at Texas. It's like, listen, the, Steve Sarkeesian is is no CEO. He's no Mac Brown. That's and that's exactly what Sonny is as a CEO. Sonny hires a, a staff, lets them all do their jobs. You know, he's exactly the kind of head coach that Texas needed. Uh, and he's, and he's proven that at TCU. So, uh, we'll, you know, there's still time for Texas to turn this around. Obviously there's still time for, for Jimbo to do that. He's, he's got what, eight more years to, to turn it around. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what these teams do, but right now it's a horn frog state. And I, I kind of like that. You know, have you ever had a horn frog? Evan? I've, never, 
I've never, I've seen a horned frog. I've never had a horned frog. I don't keep reptiles as pets. <laughs> you don't keep them as pets? Oh, it's something you got to do. It's really great stuff, especially when they're spitting blood. That's the best part when they do that. We stick to mammals here in this household. That's good. That's a good policy. I like that. All right. That's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank you for coming in and it's great to have everybody. And next week we'll be back and we'll talk about the Cowboys some more and the, and the colleges and what, where everybody is uh, heading into the conference championship games. And then maybe some, even some other stuff too. So are you going to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving or what? Yeah, we'll get to that. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Have, Have some good Turkey. Uh, and I, I, I even wish you a happy Thanksgiving, Evan. And I wish our newlywed producer, Christian Vasquez, a happy Thanksgiving. So, even though Christian can talk, he just elects not to. He doesn't want to talk. He's, he's kind of like the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, which one of the Marx brothers was it that didn't talk? I believe that was Zeppo. That was not Zeppo. Harpo. Harpo. Harpo did not talk. Zeppo. Zeppo talked. They didn't even want Zeppo to talk, but that was the case. Either way, Kevin, uh, I'll be by to pick up my pecan pie later on. Pecan, but you can come on. That'll be great. Thanks, everybody. Bye.